Hey, Big Forty back with a show for the first time in what, about uh, nine days? Let's start off with Tucker Carlson. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. By all accounts, Attorney General Mar- Merrick Garland was shocked to hear criticism of the raid on Mar-a-Lago last week. It turns out that Garland lives in such a tiny, airless world of left-wing activists and sycophants that it had never occurred to him that anyone might object to sicking the FBI on Joe Biden's political opponents. When woke Twitter and the New York Times are your only sources of news, police state politics seems perfectly normal. Trump is bad. Find a reason to arrest him. That's how they think. So if you watched Garland carefully at his press conference the other day, you may have noticed that he appeared highly annoyed by the idea of having to stoop to explain himself to mere citizens. But he found a solution. Being a liberal, Merrick Garland's first instinct was to seize the role of victim. Because when you're a victim, you've already won the argument. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to change your behavior. You are, by definition, the good guy. The victim always is. Being oppressed means never having to say you're sorry. So as Garland explained at the press conference, the FBI was in fact the real victim here. Mean old Fox News was asking unfair questions, and that's just wrong. So the real problem isn't that America's most powerful law enforcement agency is dangerously politicized and corrupt. No, the real problem here is the people have dared to complain about it, and they must stop immediately or else they're domestic terrorists. As Garland put it with what seemed like genuine outrage, I will not stand silently by as the integrity of the FBI is unfairly attacked. Well, of course, media organizations loved it. There's nothing they revere more than a victim. Victims are holy. So they immediately took Garland's side. They're being mean to the FBI. Stop it, guys. That's not allowed. But if you take three steps back and think about it for a second, Garland's position, which effectively is, you're not allowed to criticize me. I'm the Attorney General of the United States, is pretty weird. In fact, it is an inversion of the traditional relationship between the U.S. government and the population it supposedly serves. According to Merrick Garland, the onus is on American citizens to respect the FBI. Obey! It's your duty! But, of course, that's not true. In a democracy, the onus is on the FBI to earn the respect of Americans. They work for you, remember? And lately, they have not been doing a very good job, and people know that they haven't been. The public's confidence in the FBI has plummeted by double digits in just the last few years. And unfortunately, there's a reason for that. And it's a huge problem. We need the FBI. You can't just defund federal law enforcement. There are a lot of federal laws. Most of them are silly. Some of them are not silly at all. They're very serious and they must be enforced. So we have to have an FBI and it has to be an FBI we can trust. And we can't trust it until its behavior merits trust, until it's honest and to the extent it can be transparent, consistent in the way it enforces the law. We have to have a federal law enforcement agency like that. We can't just make it go away and hope for the best. But we're nowhere near that point because the people who are supposed to be overseeing the FBI have ignored egregious examples of corruption over many years. But they're getting very hard to ignore because they're just so obvious now. And it's not just the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Consider the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case. You may remember that story. It's from the fall of 2020. You may even have followed it a little bit and heard how it ended. So it seemed like a terrorism plot was, in fact, a setup by the government to make a group of ordinary people in Michigan look like terrifying right-wing extremists, those violent white nationalists Joe Biden is always mumbling about. 
Well, it turns out there aren't enough of those people in real life. Extremists. They're pretty rare, actually. It's not a very racist country, despite what they tell you. So the Justice Department had to go create some, and they did. And that's not just our opinion. That was the finding of a federal jury in Michigan. So it's a shocking story, really. But the details of that story are even worse than that. They are beyond belief, and we'll tell you what they are in just a minute. But first, to set the scene, here is Gretchen Whitmer herself, governor of Michigan, announcing that she was the intended target of a terrorism plot. This is from October 8th, 2020. Earlier today, Attorney General Dana Nessel was joined by officials from the Department of Justice and the FBI to announce state and federal charges against 13 members of two militia groups who were preparing to kidnap and possibly kill me. If you break the law or conspire to commit heinous acts of violence against anyone, we will find you, we will hold you accountable, and we will bring you to justice. Oh, we'll bring you to justice. I'm so important that militia groups have organized to take me out. What a self-aggrandizing description. But the last thing she said, we'll bring you to justice. Well, they actually tried to do that. They had a trial and then a retrial. And thanks to that, we have testimony and cross-examination that reveals what actually happened, how the FBI engineered this plot. Now, most of the media were paying zero attention to this. Julie Kelly of American Greatness has actually covered it. We're grateful to her for what she's found. So here's the outline. In early 2020, a 35-year-old Army veteran called Dan Chappell, nicknamed Big Dan, was working as a contractor for the U.S. Postal Service. He drove delivery trucks. He was scrolling Facebook one night, and Chappell says he found a pro-Second Amendment group called Wolverine Watchmen. He says he just happened upon it. So Chappell testified that he was concerned by the group's criticism of law enforcement. So he went to a police officer, friend of his, and asked for advice. None of the messages within the group violated any law. But somehow, within a week, Chappell wound up connected to the FBI, to several FBI agents, including a special agent called Jason Chambers. Now, we learned through testimony in the trial this week why Chambers was interested in the case. It turns out that Chambers, in violation of FBI policy, was running a side hustle. He just incorporated a security firm called EXE Intel, and he saw his work on the Whitmer case as a way to promote his own business. We know that because throughout 2020, someone affiliated with his business, their Twitter account, repeatedly tweeted non-public information about the kidnapping case that Dan Chappell was building for the FBI. So it's not surprising, given the built-in incentives here, which were against policy once again, that Chambers appeared to do everything he could to make sure the investigation went according to plan. Now, no investigation can go according to plan because there shouldn't be a plan. An investigation is the process of finding out what happened. An investigation is not the process of orchestrating things to happen. But that's exactly what this became. In all, the FBI, with Chambers as the handler, paid Chapel, Big Dan, more than $60,000 in the course of just a few months. Today, Chappell testified that he made more money working for the FBI in seven months than he did working for the United States Postal Service over the course of an entire year. So there's a lot of money moving from the FBI, the federal treasury, to this informant. So the FBI told Chappell that in exchange for all of that money, he needed to start assembling a group of right-wing extremists for the FBI to prosecute. They made the whole thing up. And he did that with the FBI's help. Within a few weeks, the FBI created a new Facebook group called Patriot Three Percenters. 
<laughs> this is why you should be careful of Facebook, by the way. Oh, it's just this group. It looks interesting. Yeah, okay. So Chapel and several members of that group then attended a protest at the Michigan State Capitol. Look at you bringing people together, the FBI handler texted Chapel. Now, throughout that protest, which didn't look a whole lot different from the January 6th protest, Chapel kept in touch, close touch with federal agents. He informed the feds that a 37-year-old man called Adam Fox was at the state capitol during the protest. Now, Adam Fox was got to be one of the least powerful people in our society. He lived alone with his two dogs in the basement of a vacuum repair shop. Why? Because he had no money whatsoever. In fact, he had so little money that in order to get running water to brush his teeth or use the bathroom, he had to go to a nearby Mexican restaurant and use their men's room. So Chapel began texting this diabolical mastermind, Fox, hundreds of times. But Fox seemed inherently moderate, actually. He wrote things like this, quote, Our goal is to restore the Constitutional Republic. Fox also said, quote, In our hearts and minds, we are not domestic terrorists. Oh, sounds very dangerous. So based on those text messages, the FBI gave Chapel more instructions. They provided Chapel with several $5,000 limit credit cards, and they told him to give those credit cards to Fox and tell him to spend it on guns and ammunition. So Fox, despite the fact he had no money at all, had used the men's room in a Mexican restaurant to brush his teeth, refused. On five separate occasions, he refused to take the credit cards to buy guns and ammunition. Then, what a terrorist. Then in July of 2020, Chapel suggested that Fox and others fire rounds into the governor's mansion, as well as at her cottage. But the alleged plotters, including Adam Fox, again refused. They didn't want to hurt the governor. Ultimately, in August of 2020, the group started to splinter. Chapel and other informants were instructed to keep the group together. No! Keep it together! <laughs> keep the threat real! So they introduced another undercover agent who pretended to be an explosives expert. He showed the group a video of a bomb that blew up a vehicle to prove he knew what he was doing. Where'd that video come from? Well, it was made by the FBI. Is this shaking your confidence a little bit? These details are real, by the way. They came out at trial. Then the Bureau recruited a convicted felon and a longtime FBI informant called Stephen Robson to introduce a new idea to Fox, as well as to Barry Croft. This time, the idea was to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. Robson, with the FBI's money, organized several events, including a national militia conference in Ohio, training in Wisconsin, and a meeting in Delaware. FBI orchestrating all of this. On July 18th, 2020, at one such militia meeting, again, organized by the FBI, when they tell you, oh, right-wing extremists. <laughs> in this case, they created them. So at this militia meeting, an alleged plotter called Ty Garbin rejected out of hand, the idea of kidnapping Gretchen Whitmer. Didn't want to do it. No, I don't think so. Kidnap the governor? No, we're not crazy. We just want a constitutional republic. Okay. Then the topic came up again in August. And then another defendant called Daniel Harris was equally adamant. No snatch and grab, he said. I swear to effing God. So clearly, they said it emphatically, out loud, explicitly, these are people who are not interested in kidnapping Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. But the FBI kept pushing. The FBI informants drove the defendants to Gretchen Whitmer's home. Then they suggested killing the governor of Virginia, also a Democrat. On September 5th, 2020, FBI Special Agent Jason Chambers texted Chapel, quote, mission is to kill the governor specifically. What country is this? 
To pressure one of the defendants, a man called Barry Cross, Croft, into doing that, one FBI agent admitted this week that a female informant slept in the same hotel room as Croft. It was a honey trap. FBI agents also testified this week that they regularly got high with Adam Fox. They smoked weed with Adam Fox. They said he was so high, in fact, he was high in all of his meetings with them. Again, that's against FBI policy. You can't just give drugs to people and hope they do something bad. Well, after all of this failed to produce a kidnapping plot, it fell on yet another FBI agent called Richard Trask to build the criminal case against the defendants. Now, that same year, Trask, who has now been convicted of beating his wife, called Donald Trump a piece of excrement on social media. Really? Yeah. Just nonpartisan federal bureaucrats, public servants doing their jobs. Now, incredibly, after all of this, the person in charge of the field office overseeing the Whitmer investigation in 2020, a man called Stephen D'Antuano, was promoted, not fired, promoted to lead the D.C. field office in late 2020. Are you connecting the dots here? In other words, the guy who made sure that FBI informants were active during a rally in the Michigan State House in 2020 as part of this concocted plot, that same guy went on to become the guy who oversaw the investigation into, wait for it, January 6th. The election justice protest they're calling an insurrection. But just remember, don't ask whether the FBI used informants to entrap anyone on January 6th. No, you can't do that, or else you're an insurrectionist yourself. Nor are you allowed to ask why Stephen D'Antuano's agents were involved in the raid on Mar-a-Lago, even though that's in Florida and he's in Washington. Because it turns out questions like this are hate speech. Watch. All the buzz on the internet and all over the airwaves, it, it, it does... It does have an impact. Well, I mean, you could say buzz. <clears throat> well, there's I'm, an awful I'm lot calling of, it buzz. There's yes. an awful lot of hate speech coming from uh, pro-Trump media outlets. Uh, anger. Just, uh, uh, attacking anger. the nation's premier law enforcement agency simply because Donald Trump is, is being investigated. Oh, it's hate speech. Now, if there's one thing we know about hate speech is that it's not protected by the First Amendment. You've read that part of the Constitution where it says you can say whatever you want as long as MSNBC doesn't designate your words hate speech. So when they call any criticism of the FBI, that would be Joe Biden's personal defense force, they call that hate speech. What they're really saying is you're committing a crime. You can see where this is going. But the truth is, there are still questions about the FBI's behavior on and around January 6th. And given what happened in Michigan, where we know beyond question that the FBI tried to create an act of terror, it's fair to ask what exactly did happen on January 6th? And why is the FBI still hiding footage, critically, of the person who planted a pipe bomb outside the DNC on January 6th? while Kamala Harris was apparently inside, something that she lied about for months. What exactly is going on here? We're, of course, not alleging anything. We don't know the answer. But we know for a fact, given the FBI's behavior, and we report this with great sadness over the last several years, it is worth getting to the bottom of this. In fact, we have to if we're going to restore confidence in federal law enforcement.
No one is asking these questions really apart from Revolver News. And here's what they've come up with. Watch this. Camera one shows the pipe bomber walking up to the DNC grounds at roughly 7.40 p.m. He sits on bench one. Then he gets up and walks off screen. According to the FBI, he walks the length of the DNC building, and 10 minutes later, he comes back to the same bench area and sits on bench two. There, at 7.52 p.m., camera two captures the pipe bomber sitting on bench two and, we are told, planting the pipe bomb by the side of the bench next to the bush. We are told the pipe bomber plants the pipe bomb there, but we can't see it. Camera two is occluded by a giant bush that blocks the scene. The pipe bomber even looks at camera to head on, for some reason. It's very frustrating, because we can't see the moment the pipe bomber plants the pipe bomb, but the FBI can. That's because the whole scene should be captured on camera one as well, and much more clearly than camera two. Camera one has a clear shot of both benches. If the FBI released the full tape from camera one, we could see the pipe bomber planting the bomb. Okay, so what exactly happened outside the DNC on January 6th? And why is no one asking that question? And why has the Department of Justice not told us? We've heard everything they want us to know about January 6th. Why not more about this? Darren Beatty of Revolver News is one of the few people who is pressing... Okay, 40 here. I'm back. And it, it was so good to take a nine-day break from broadcasting just so that I could think a second time about where I put my energy, about, you know, what I believe in, what I want to do with my life. So Claire Cor was taking me to task earlier this morning for admitting that my, my faith in God had somewhat diminished in intensity during my illness. Well, belief in God is an abstract thought. And so I don't know about you, but when I am sick, my bandwidth, my capacity for abstract thought is reduced. So when I was sick over the past nine days, I kind of brought my life down. I didn't leave the house for a week. I, I did my work. You know, I earned my living. I paid the bills. I did some cleaning up. I had phone calls with all my sponsees. And aside from that, I was just off the hook. I was just miserable. My my head, my heart, my, my brain, my central nervous system wasn't into thinking abstract thoughts about politics. I, I, I was sick on the first day that Trump was raided, what was it, eight days ago, and I didn't have a strong opinion at first. It took me several days, and I still don't have a strong opinion, right? I'm 50% open to the FBI did the right thing, and it wouldn't... Sh shock me if uh, Donald Trump had possession of documents that did not belong to him. So, so, so many different uh, things to reflect on, but it was just so good to like step away from stepping up and giving my opinions every day. It was so good to step away from my habits. It was uh, so good to get out of the, the habit of production. And it was so good to get a break from my beliefs. Like I was miserable for five of those days, like really sore throat, uh, seven out of 10 intensity. So an eight out of 10, nine out of 10, I would be off to work, but it was about a seven out of 10. So it just kind of short circuited all my beliefs, all my desire to make a difference in the world. Like I just 
kind of curled up and, and try to distract myself watching movies and TV and I just can't keep my attention on anything. But it's like restarting your computer and, and like having a second chance at, at life and thinking about, hey, what's important? What's important is to get together with, with you and have some laughs and share some ideas and uh, just jotted down about 30 bits of uh, notes from Tucker Carlson's opening monologue and some of the points in the in the chat and uh esoteric says it's also corrupt ruled by men and not by laws no more well even when you have rule by law that rule is always going to be carried out by men it's not like there's rule by law and rule by men except as a moderately useful metaphor so no matter you know how strong the rules are on the books it will always take human interpretation and human energy and human agency to enforce the law. So I've often driven Interstate 5 up through Central California to Sacramento, and I remember when I was driving it, the minimum speed was 80 miles an hour. Now, the posted speed limit is 65, but everyone around me was breaking the law. So to the extent that I drove 80, 85 miles an hour, I was about the slowest person around me, yet I was still breaking the law by 20 miles an hour. So I was breaking the law. I was wide open for, for being given a ticket. But law enforcement is not just a matter of law on the books. It has to be applied by specific individuals in specific times and places. So it wouldn't shock me if Donald Trump was breaking the law. But just because Donald Trump is breaking the law and just because I'm breaking the law, just because all of us are committing felonies probably every single day, that doesn't mean that we should be booked for them. If I had $5 million to investigate you, I could find all sorts of felonies that you're committing. If you had $5 million to investigate me, you could find inadvertently, I'm not knowingly committing any felonies, but inadvertently I'm probably committing some felonies and you could bring me up on charges and you could paint me as the most heinous person in the world. So I don't think the issue primarily is Donald Trump breaking the law. It is what is the severity of the infraction and what will be the blowback from trying to enforce it and, and what will be the, the consequences, All right, There's not just, you know, colorblind rule of law that's like a, a computer algorithm and you just go, go and execute it, all right? It always requires human judgment, all right? It, it always requires people to decide, are we going to enforce this law at this time on this person in this circumstance? Why is the FBI so selective? We all have to be selective, all right? You can just dissipate your resources. You can just dissipate your assets all over the dusty soil. I mean, do you really want 2,500 FBI agents dissipating their essence all over our fruited plain? Right? We, we always have to make decisions. Right? There's, no, there's no escape from the relentless demands of life to choose. So instead of, Viktor Frankl made this point, instead of asking what is the meaning of life, ask, you know, what, what is life asking of you right now? So life is asking of me right now to be interesting and perhaps amusing and compelling and to host a communal discussion and, and a place where, where people can, can gather. The rules-based values-driven world order. Yeah, well, it's good to have a rule of law, right? It's good to have 
as close as you can get to a rule of law. But no matter how close you come to that ideal, it'll always depend on people making decisions whether or not to enforce particular laws against particular people at particular times and places. The laws are supposed to limit uh, the government. Well, laws are not just supposed to limit the government. They're also supposed to limit other people to enhance the possibility that we live in, in relative harmony with each other and to discourage wrongdoing. What about the trans community, bro? I was, I was so tempted to title today's stream... I am not your dead girlfriend. I was just watching that terrific Netflix two-part documentary on Monte Teo, the the Mormon linebacker for Notre Dame, whose story captured the nation, I think, in, in 2013, that uh, on the same day he lost his grandmother and his girlfriend, and he, he's just dedicated the season to those two women. He was nominated for the Heisman Trophy, he was one of three people. And remember, the Heisman Trophy is voted for by sports writers, so they love a good story. So he eventually loses out to Johnny Manziel, but he was, he, you know, almost won the Heisman Trophy in large part because of this very moving story about how he lost his girlfriend to leukemia. And it turned out that she was non existent, that he'd been catfished. All right. He'd spoken to her on the phone, but it was a bloke who was talking like a lady. And here's a the, here's the particularly sad part of, uh, of this story. All right, it, in, the, in the documentary, all right, uh, at the time of the filming, the people interviewed in this documentary, they were not aware that the catfish dude, the, the, the instigator of this hoax, Renaya, now identifies as a transgender woman. And so they dead-named him which is pretty upsetting. So uh, have you seen this on Netflix? Untold, the girlfriend who didn't exist, about Monte Teo. So he was a linebacker Friday with Notre afternoon, Dame. a tip comes in. Uh, this is dead I spin. was an intern, which was unpaid, and I was paid in sandwiches and, like, an occasional bottle of booze. Tips at Deadspin were mostly junk or just like, hey, here's a funny picture I took of the weather broadcast where the radar pattern kind of looks like a dick. But there was occasionally someone would give you a story that at least you could check out. And because I was still sort of the eager college student, I thought, I'll check it out. Tip says, subject, Manti Teo's non-existent dead girlfriend. I know you guys get thousands of tips that are out there or crazy. This is one that should really be looked into. I was born and raised a Laia boy on the north shore of Oahu. While Manti Teo is a loved native son here in Hawaii, he is also a fraud. The story about his girlfriend dying is completely made up. Please use the actual reporting skills you have to find the truth. Much aloha, Chris. Okay, untold on Netflix, the girlfriend who, who didn't exist. All right, so I, I jotted down all these thoughts on the Tucker Carlson documentary. So Tucker is very fond of saying, you're not allowed to ask. Really? I mean, who who says that you're, you're not allowed to ask, right? I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair and balanced. I don't think that's responsible. 
I mean, obviously you are allowed to ask because Tucker Carlson's asking. So Tucker Carlson's a lot of fun. I think he's the most important pundit out there. He often gets it right. He often gets it wrong. And this idea that you're not allowed to ask, right? By whom, right? Who is preventing you from asking? You can ask, all right? This is America. It's a free country. You can ask. All right. So if the FBI goes up against Donald Trump and you automatically side with Donald Trump and you automatically side against the FBI, then you're not really a pro-law enforcement person. So I stand in the middle here. I think it's 50% possible that the FBI acted correctly in raiding Donald Trump and 50% possible that they acted incorrectly and that they will cause you know unnecessary division and uh, politicize the pursuit of justice oh so when, when you talk about how things are so corrupt and so bad in america you've always got to ask compared to what country right you, you think japan is this uh you know crime-free utopia and in many ways it is compared to america but in many ways it isn't so I was just reading the memoir Tokyo Vice by Jake Adelstein, who was the first foreigner to become a reporter for Japan's largest uh, newspaper. And he talks about how the, at the time of this book, which came out in 2010, there was no interest by Japanese law enforcement in cracking down on sex trafficking. Like women would be brought into the country on false pretenses and forced to work as prostitutes, just horrifying stories. Also, uh, According to, to the book, uh, Japanese cops do pretty much everything they can to avoid classifying a homicide as a homicide. They much prefer to call it an accident or manslaughter. So there are all sorts of murders going on in Japan that don't get diagnosed as classified as murders, uh, particularly if they happen to foreigners. So if foreigners are getting sex trafficked, foreigners are getting murdered, uh, Japanese law enforcement doesn't have much interest in investigating and uh, preventing and, and punishing that type of heinous behavior. So America certainly has its problems, but you know which country doesn't have its have its problems. So I was also thinking, just off the top of my head, maybe one reason that the FBI is getting into trouble is that they've done say maybe they've done a pretty good job in many ways. So. Maybe they've cracked down substantially on organized crime. Maybe they've cracked down on various types of crime. And so now they're going after fruit that is a little higher on the tree. All right. It's not so low hanging. If you'd ask me after 9-11, would the United States get hit again by a major Muslim terror attack? I would have said yes. And so maybe we need to give the FBI and Department of Homeland Security and don't we love our cops now, law enforcement? Maybe we need to give some credit for us not getting uh, hit again. And uh, Tucker Carlson was complaining about the Biden administration sicking the FBI on Joe Biden's enemies. Well, would you want law enforcement and the FBI to automatically skip Joe Biden's enemies? It seems to me that just because you're an enemy of Joe Biden, you should not receive you know, extra scrutiny, nor should you be exempt from, from scrutiny. All right? Get out of jail card. So that's what uh, 
Tucker Carlson was complaining about, that people on the left have a get-out-of-jail card, and sometimes they do, all right? Generally speaking, the left got away with a hell of a lot of horrific behavior during the summer of George and afterwards. So depending on the time, the place, the jurisdiction, yeah, different people often get get-out-of-jail cards. Now, there is a real problem with rage at law enforcement, right? I think it's terrible that that man who went shooting at an FBI office or showed up armed to an FBI office and uh, with with bad intentions. There is a a definite problem with violent criminal uh, behavior directed towards law enforcement. Shooting cops, shooting FBI agents is a heinous, heinous thing should not be encouraged and that there are parts of the right that do encourage this uh, heinous behavior in addition to a large part of the democratic party so it's funny the democrats by and large were behind the riots of the summer of george all right democrats by and large have been behind reducing law enforcement uh, letting people out of jail during covid and uh, democrats by and large have watered down law enforcement and have largely been responsible for the dramatic increase in murder rates and other crime rates over, over the past eight years. But now, because the FBI is going up against Donald Trump, then many people on the right are automatically siding with Trump against the FBI. I think we should we should uh, just stand back and uh, try to try to see how how things work out and see where the evidence is. Yeah, there's no alternative to some degree of politicized justice. All right, justice is always going to be carried out by human beings. We're never going to live in a perfect world without any corruption. Uh, Merrick Garland never said in his news conference that you're not entitled to criticize him. What he tried to do is tamp down those who want to go on a jihad against law enforcement agents. So it was a reasonable, a reasonable reaction. All right, we, we have a substantial part of the right that is stoking anti-FBI hatred. And as a 50% of me thinks that may well be justified, right? This may be an abuse of the FBI, but it's not a reason to hate and loathe the entire FBI. This is just one segment of the FBI. The FBI is just a tool, right? It's like getting mad at what I do with this pen or what I do with this microphone or what I do with this cam. Right? These things are all just tools, right? So the FBI is directed by the Department of Justice. So if you don't like what the FBI is doing, then I think the first area of critique has to be with the people running the Department of Justice, right? Your average FBI agent isn't deciding, oh, I'm going to go raid Donald Trump or I'm going to go raid Republicans today. So generally speaking, conservatives and Republicans are the party of law and order, but but now it seems like it's uh, the people on the left who are the, the most behind our, our FBI and uh, federal law enforcement. So part of that change, right, is interest change. So when the FBI goes up against Donald Trump, the most likely Republican nominee, so people who are traditionally for law enforcement, they're going to be uh, you know, much more likely to be suspicious now of law enforcement when it's going up against their interest. Okay. Let's have a look. My friend Ricardo is back. 
And David's back. All right, difference between American corruption and other countries is that other countries don't pretend to be the shining city on the hill. Yeah, so when you stand for something, right, when you have this self-image of being a shining city on the hill, you are much more vulnerable to criticism. But, I mean, really, do you not want to stand for anything? Do you want to abandon that that image of being the shiny city on the hill? Of course, much of being a shiny city on the hill is delusion. I mean, I I at times kind of think of myself as, you know, as a, a ray of light in the world. And then I get sick and I think, ah, I, I think a lot of that was just delusion, mate. So some some extent of delusion serves you, right? But uh, an excessive amount of delusion definitely does not serve you. Uh, chat says, my default position is not to side with the FBI. Well, I prior to six years ago, my default position was to side with the FBI 90% of the time. Uh, now I'm more 50-50 on the FBI. Who says Merrick Garland deliberated for months? The New York Times, I think the Washington Post, but the point is if Donald Trump has these vital national security interests, then you're totally undercutting that case by saying that Merrick Garland deliberated for months. And if the documents in Donald Trump's position possession are so valuable, right? So vulnerable to being misused then how can you then say that Merrick Garland deliberated for months, right? You can't have it both ways, right? If he deliberated for months, then you're also simultaneously saying that the documents are not of prime importance. So it's kind of interesting seeing the various stories coming out of both sides, both the Republican side and the, the Democratic side, both the mainstream media and the, uh, the dissident perspective. People are coming up with new theories, new stories, trying to adjust to changing information. Luke is making excuse for Biden going after Trump. Not surprised. Well, I don't think Donald Trump should be immune from scrutiny. And if he has broken the law in, in a way that's uh, particularly damaging to America, then, yeah, I, I think he should be pursued just like any other president. I don't think uh, Donald Trump should be immune. So I am open to the possibility that the Biden administration is doing the right thing here. Did Timothy McVeigh do anything wrong? Yeah, he did something heinous. Remember when Luke defended Jeffrey Epstein for not going after anyone that wouldn't be old enough for a bat mitzvah? Oh, yeah, right? So... I'm not primarily here about uh, point scoring and just emoting to feel good. There is a big difference between going after a 14-year-old girl and going after a four-year-old girl, right? Going after a four-year-old girl sexually is far more heinous than going after a 14-year-old. A 14-year-old, generally speaking, all things being equal, has more agency than a 12-year-old. Just as a 16-year-old has more agency than a 14-year-old, a 20-year-old has more agency than a 17-year-old, and a 25-year-old has more agency than a 21-year-old. So there is a big difference between going after teens who are prepubescent or postpubescent. Does it mean that it's right? Does it mean that it's good? Does it mean you should get a get-out-of-jail card? There's a significant difference. Criticizing the FBI is a jihad. 
never said anything like it. The FBI, like Luke Ford, like Ricardo, benefits from accurate criticism to the extent that uh, Tucker Carlson's opening monologue was was accurate, then he did, did a service. I don't know enough. We love the FBI. I love the FBI when they do lovable things. I hate the FBI when they do hateful things. The left now loves government and huge corporations. Yeah. So it seems like the 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 left, the center left and the center right all kind of embrace big government, big corporations. Ricardo says I want to abolish the FBI. They offer nothing. I'm agnostic. So we have all sorts of federal law enforcement. Maybe we should just centralize them into one national law enforcement agency. I think in Australia, there's the Australian Federal Police. What does the FBI do that's a positive? Seriously? I mean, they they haven't taken down terrorists, they haven't taken down organized crime, they haven't taken down uh, people doing heinous things. Remember that kid in Israel who was ruining dozens of women's lives by sexually blackmailing them? And hacking their computers. I mean, he ruined dozens of people's lives and the FBI led the way in taking down that kid in Jerusalem and bringing him to justice in America. It is so transparently clear that this was a political hitch up. We don't know the importance of the documents that they seized. All right. So as each day goes by and we don't know what exactly they seize, that the more and more skeptical I become of what the FBI has done. So initially, I didn't have any reaction. Then, as I think two, three days went by, and I started thinking, I believe this is going to end up being more positive for Trump than negative, because they haven't come up with the goods. Like, if they had a strong case, they'd be making it. That they're not making a strong case, eight days later, to me, indicates that... They miscalculated, but still trying to keep an open mind. Maybe they'll they'll prove me wrong. Bro, you don't raid a former president's home. Well, at, at what degree of severity of wrongdoing does one raid a former president's home? There are about a million people that deserve police attention more than Donald Trump, says the chat. I'm not sure. Luke's uh, pedo guest made me want to puke. He's not a pedo. All right, someone who had some sort of sexual interaction with a 16-year-old girl is not a pedophile, right? 16 is not a six-year-old. Not a good thing. Also, he does make a good point that in something like 38 states, that behavior would have been legal. Wanted to use him for batting practice. Well, to use someone who has consensual sexual interactions with a 16-year-old for batting practice, I would say using that person for batting practice is far more heinous than whatever consensually went on between uh, this guy and a 16-year-old woman, 16-year-old girl. Organized crime never called me a racist. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, what if they you know, destroyed the lives of, of people you love? 
Would that mean something to you then? Most trucks of peace are driven by FBI agents. Luke defending pedos, pointing out that there's a difference between an adult having sex with someone who's post-pubescent and pre-pubescent and calling that uh, defending pedos, I think, is unfair. Okay. So, I made all these notes. Oh, so uh, Tucker quotes one of these uh, Michigan blokes under under charge for supposedly wanting to kidnap the governor, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. And the guy said, in our hearts and minds, we are not domestic terrorists. And Tucker then said, well, that doesn't sound like a terrorist. Who cares? Like in my heart and in my mind, I am all sorts of delusional things. In your heart and your mind, you're all sorts of delusional things. What people believe in their hearts and minds about who they are and what they're doing counts for absolutely nothing. Right? Just because you think you're in the right doesn't indicate you're in the right. It's not even evidence that you're in the right. Uh, the human heart is infinitely corruptible. We are all infinitely capable of self-delusion when we want to do the things we do. So just because we feel that we're the good guys it provides zero evidence that we actually are the good guys. We might be the baddies. Ah, so the behavior of the FBI has a great deal to do with how people regard the FBI. It's not like attitudes towards the FBI are just ineluctable. It's not like attitudes towards the police are just set in stone. The way the FBI conducts itself is going to have a profound effect on how the FBI is viewed. If the FBI has been misused in this raid of Donald Trump, that's going to have a profoundly negative effect on how people view the FBI, and the FBI and the Justice Department will have brought that on themselves. So how Jews are viewed, in large part, depends on the behavior of Jews. How blacks are viewed, to a large degree, depends primarily on the behavior of blacks. How white Christians are viewed depends primarily on the behavior of white Christians. How Muslims are viewed depends primarily on the behavior of Muslims. How dentists are viewed depends primarily on the behavior of dentists. So it's looking to me like the Justice Department, the FBI, made a bad choice here. And if so, the, the, the Department of Justice has done far more to whip up needless hatred of the FBI than, you know, all the, all the dissident right. So we affect how other people react to us. I affect how you think of me. I affect how you treat me. I affect how you speak about me. I don't control you. I don't command you. All right. I'm not some messianic figure, but I have some influence on how you treat me and how you talk about me. And and then thinking about how the left and right are kind of going back and forth on who's the, the law enforcement party, it just reminds me once again that everything we hold precious is in a constellation competing with other values. So I love belonging to a community. I also love freedom of speech. These are completely in tension with each other. So when I want more freedom of speech, I have to give up community. Uh, if you want justice... Right? Sometimes you have to give up the, the virtue of, of peace. 
if you want like clean streets, sometimes you have to reduce freedoms. All right. So in Singapore, I, I believe you're not allowed to chew gum in, in public. And I, I believe they, they cane you if you violate all sorts of things that receive virtually no penalty in the U.S. So all, all values, including law enforcement and cracking down on crime, all that, it's all within a constellation competing with, with other values. It's not like there's ever just like one value and that's all we have to worry about. Like we got to be adults. Right? You want more law enforcement, you want more aggressive law enforcement, there's going to be some reduction in personal liberty that comes with that. I like stop and frisk. I recognize that many people are going to be inconvenienced and even humiliated by enforced stop and frisk policies. I believe the payoff in reduction of crime will make that worth it. Okay. Netflix documentary, Untold, The Girlfriend It Didn't Exist. And I was like, boy, that would be fucking crazy if it weren't true. I sent the tip to Tim Burke. Tim is this sort of brilliant, eccentric master of databases and analysis. And he just had tools that none of us had and that... I would wager at that time, maybe a dozen journalists in the whole country had. Before I started working for Deadspin, I traveled in some interesting online circles, including with Anonymous, the notorious online hacker group. And I developed a reputation as somebody who finds things. This tip is not like most tips. This tip is different. I just Googled Bene Kikua. Every single result, a story about how she was the dead girlfriend of Notre Dame linebacker Manti Teo. She physically did not exist outside of being Manti Teo's dead girlfriend. Which was the whole story to me. Welcome to the... Uh press conference for the annual 78th Memorial Heisman Trophy. And tonight we will name the most outstanding college football player in 2012. At this point, I had got a call two days earlier that the girl who I thought was dead is now alive. And I'm at the Heisman ceremony in New York. And I got a national championship game I got to play in. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. Like, so Anyway, this documentary, Untold, The Girlfriend, It Didn't Exist, it makes me think about how we all have friends who don't exist. We all have conceptions of, of friends that are completely divorced from reality because it's kind of tiring and a little scary to reflect on the complexity of, of individuals so we, we tend to put people in a box you know this guy's a good person this person's an honest person uh, this person's you know a fighter for our people uh, this person's good in business and we 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 deliberately live in a world of delusion about our friends and about ourselves right we, we think that, that that we have a true self that our friends have a true self that we really know who they they are and so when our friends act completely out of character, we always have explanations. It's like, oh, they were provoked. 
or oh, he just had a headache or he'd had a bad day. And so this guy who was catfished, I just think it reflects this, this very human tendency that we all have to believe all sorts of things about our friends that are simply completely disconnected from reality. Because usually we, we see our friends just in certain segments of, of our lives where they behave one way. When they're outside of those particular situations, they behave very differently. What's true, what's not true. And I can't tell anybody what's going on. I mean, what would you think? So I just stuck to the script. Manta, you're very resilient. You lose your girlfriend as well as your grandmother within the span of 24 hours. I'm just curious, what made you want to keep on playing the game? Because some kids could have taken some time off from that. Oh, you know, my faith, you know, I, I, I drew strength from my faith, you know, from Heavenly Father and the same thing that everybody should draw strength from. To me, someone who recognizes what the Notre Dame football mythos is, this right, and this is kind of funny, the Notre Dame football mythos. Like, football is a sport that destroys people. Right? Ends their lives decades early, frequently. Like, gives them mental health problems, physical problems, like all sorts of problems. And then this idea that these, these people-destroying institutions of football have, have value systems that we should respect and look up to and have a mythos is uh, absurd. So I wonder what uh, Claire Corr has to say. She had some criticisms of my my live stream earlier today. So she's titled this uh, Luke Ford's Weakening Belief in God During Illness. And she's not saying anything. Come on, Claire, get on the ball here. So I, I wasn't particularly moved by, by Claire Corr's uh, critiques. Mike, please, it's Um, that I, I think I really will have to buy another a new one or a, a new old one or, well, just something that isn't so damnably slow and its slowness has increased uh, to, to almost an unbearable extent. So I've closed all, well, as many of the windows. Come on, Claire, pull it together. Come up, come up with uh, some thoughtful critique here. Thoughtful, wait, but, but I thought it... It's just as well to wait for people to come and go. Come on, Claire. So Claire thinks that if you believe in God, that it, that uh, you then automatically make good decisions. And uh, I just don't see any evidence of that. I, I know plenty of people who believe in God and make, regularly make terrible decisions. Other people don't believe in God and often make impressive decisions. So... For some people, in some circumstances, belief in God can be a wonderful part of their life, but it doesn't come with automatic magical qualities of uh, always doing the right thing just because you believe. Or hell, in the afterlife, if you believe in that sort of thing, you'd wish to avoid being sent to the, the worst place. And he would... Uh, Europe's become secular, dramatically so, over the past three decades, and there's no dramatic difference in crime rates among uh, Native Europeans. So Europe moving from religious to secular, from believing in an afterlife to having no belief in an afterlife doesn't seem to have uh, changed Europeans' perspectives very much. So I, I don't, uh, don't think Claire's doing a particularly good job making her case. 
This is uh, Richard Spencer talking with Ed Dutton about the FBI. Would be, I mean, you know, they're they're extreme. That is not the mindset of liberals, particularly baby boomer liberals who are in charge. And so the dynamic is basically these centrist types who want to maintain this order, want to engage and need a stable domestic order in order to gauge foreign policy, monetary policy, et cetera, et cetera. And the like populist wing, which is largely white, though not entirely so, that feels understandably and correctly in many ways alienated from these institutions. And so the institutions are anti-white, they're anti-Christian, they're anti-conservative, they're anti-Republican, whatever they want to say. They are totally alienated. They don't see themselves as benefiting from these institutions. Understand right. So I think this is why so many people on the right have turned against the FBI, is that they don't see themselves as benefiting from the FBI. Why have so many people on the right turned against virtually all of America's major institutions, from the New York Times to the CIA to the Academy? is that uh, many regular Americans no longer see themselves as benefiting from our major institutions. And I don't think their perceptions are delusional. All right. I, I believe that the skepticism of our major institutions is in large part earned by the performance of our major institutions. I just wouldn't go as far as the skeptics in just wanting to throw it all out. Understandably, in many ways, and they are increasingly engaging in rebellion of some kind. I mean, there's J6 is obviously a case of you fucking stole it. I don't want to see any of your evidence. I know it in my bone marrow that you doggone bastards took the election. And we're, you know, I, you know, that's how they were. And look, you know, the, what is it? Two days or a day after the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, someone in Cincinnati who was a reply guy to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump and other people went with a gun and a nail gun. In fact, he wanted to he wanted to be like Daniel Craig in Casino Royale, just shoot someone with a nail gun. Pretty great scene. I don't know if you've seen that movie. But anyway, um, he, he, he took a nail gun and a long rifle or something to the Cincinnati FBI office and ended up in a shootout in a field. There was I just saw there was a protest last night in Arizona, I believe, which is a uh, a increasingly kind of radicalizing Yahoo state where they are outside of the FBI. They are actively going against these institutions. And it, it is bizarre. I mean, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm actually um, listening to a, a pretty good book uh, called Fault Lines on, on Audible. It's a real kind of an easy listen of a book, but it's, it's a history since Watergate of the United States. And it kind of, it kind of reminds you of all of these uh, dynamics and kind of popular culture of the last 40 or 50 years. And, um, you know, and I lived through all, I, I lived through not all of it, but most of it. And um, I can remember the just reversal of this tendency within my lifetime 20 years ago. It's something I almost kind of hated. Um, the conservative, these same people, literally the same people, or, or at the very least, the, the uh, you know, the relatives or offspring of these same people who, you know, would say things like, you know, the only people who don't support the Patriot Act are terrorists. Like, why are you against domestic spying? Are you trying to hide something? You know? Uh, so I started blogging in 1997, but blogs really took off in 2001 after 9-11 among many of my centrist, uh, center-left uh, journalist friends. They started war blogs talking about the need for America to go to war to revenge 9-11. So... Remember that atmosphere that, uh, you know, if you don't support the Patriot Act, you know, you're probably 
Hey, you're probably a terrorist. This like embrace of these of the national security state by these same conservatives, these literally the same people, or at the very least, very similar people, or their offspring, twenty years ago would embrace the FBI, would embrace the national security state. They had a right wing state. They had a right wing state, and they were and they were kind of had a right. They felt in charge. They they were in charge. You had this. You have books. That was a very interesting time. That you have books by. There was a genuine concern about, as you were saying earlier, about evangelicalism. You have books by Richard Dawkins and the like, slagging off Christianity and so on, because. There was a degree to which America had become Jesus land. Yes. Uh, and Amer- America was run by this evangelical Christian, George W. Bush, and it was run by uh, other evangelical Christians. And they were firmly ensconced in power. Uh, and, and they passed the Patriot Act, and this empowered them. The FBI was on their side. It was all, it was all for them. Mm-hmm. But these people are Machiavellian, and they can flip over quite quickly. They're just as yeah. hypocritical. We shouldn't be surprised. If, 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 in some ways, it's in a bizarre way reassuring. Because, I, I, well, not really, I often think politically that um, the, the evidence is that, uh, as I've uh, showed again, this paper I told O'Connor and Moss, whatever it's called, that showed the people on the right are psychopaths, the people on the left are Machiavellian and narcissistic. But of course, there's distinct, there's, there's nuances in that, there's variation. And right. the fact that these people would flip over in this way, go from saying the FBI are great, the FBI stopping those Muslim terrorists coming in and whatever, to saying um, the opposite shows a, a, a reasonable level of Machiavellianism, doesn't it? That as, as, long as, as long as the institution is on our side, then it's a good thing. Uh, and it's doing good work. But if the institution is on the other side, or we see it as being on the other side, then it's of the, the devil and of Satan, and it's uh, part of the deep state that's trying to destroy us. Yeah. So you can see I'm how... I'm not sure it's Machiavellian, but, but go on, go on. Well, all right, well it's, it's, it's inconsistent. And yeah. it's, it's, it's inconsistent with a view to helping your own empowerment. So you, you say that the FBI are a good thing when they seem to be propping up the kind of government and state that you want. Yeah. Uh, when they seem to be doing the opposite, then you, when they are the agents of your enemies, basically, then you say, oh, it's part of the deep state, it's terrible, they're bad. They're I, I think it might be, at least the way I would describe it, is it's this, it, it's this kind of growing awareness. It, it's this like disillusionment and, and kind of creeping anxiety about something. I mean, you see this with, you know, sports fans where they'll, you know, when the team is about to get into the playoffs or win the pennant or something – they'll kind of rationalize, you know, everything of, you know, oh, you know, our main quarterback, he's not really hurt. He's, he's going to be just fine. And yeah, you know, the, 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 the statistics about our defense, they don't actually capture how good our defense actually, you know, this kind of optimistic rationalization. And then when it all, when the chickens come home to roost or they lose, there's this almost just kind of, ra- you know, disillusionment and radical rejection of like, I can't, I hate the Yankees or the Cowboys or whatever, you know, I hate them. The, the, the GM is evil and you know it's it's this weird there's this sense during the bush era uh, from the same people or or, or their off, offspring or si- very similar people of feeling in control oh and, i see what you mean. and, and, so and that, when you feel yeah. it's almost like you overly reject them and now you think that the the irs is out to get you and the fbi is part of the deep state and they're maybe even eating babies well, is it, a more, is it a more general? Is it a more general thing then? It's like we've talked about with the, the hormone fluctuations and so forth, and uh, it's simply that everybody in the ni- late nineties, early two thousands, just felt more in control. Everybody felt more in control. Yeah. Everybody felt more positive. Everybody felt that things made more sense, and, and these structures were there, and the FBI could be trusted, and they were working in our best interests, and whatever. And now right. nobody, nobody does. People just don't feel in control. Uh, right. and, and, that, and that's something that's true on the far left, particularly, and on the far right, particularly. Yeah, and I, I, I think mass immigration has has a lot to do with this. I, I, I think you know the fact that Tucker Carlson gets these huge ratings by talking about like the Great Replacement, and you know, again, who who always do? Oh, it's not about race. Or, yeah, we 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 get that, but you know, he's he's tapping in to some just widespread anxiety, and in and MSNBC will tap into some why some anxiety about the rise of fascism and. 
you know, so the alt-right or whatever a few years ago. I mean, they're, none of these, both of those positions aren't exactly wrong. They're overblown, of course, but they're not exactly wrong. But there is this tapping into some anxiety about losing control. And uh, so I remember at uh, Merrick Garland's uh, press conference last week and all the pundits were, were hailing him for what a, a smart strategic move it was that he called for the unsealing of, of the warrant. And the pundits were saying, ah, now this this puts the the pressure back on, on Donald Trump. Is he going to want to hide the warrant? Well, Trump turned out to have no problems with unveiling the warrant. Now the pressure's back on the Justice Department because they are trying to save and protect and keep keep private the affidavit, which is far more important than the warrant, right? The affidavit that led to the to the raid, right? Now the Justice Department wants to hide. So let's hear a little. He is Hannity. not in possession of former President Trump's passports. Trump had accused the, the FBI of stealing his three passports, two expired, during the search of his home in Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach. That was fake news. The FBI did, in fact, seize the president's passports. Now, Nora O'Donnell got played by the federal government. You know, you would think she'd want to get the truth out there. But anyway, she doesn't really seem to care, as per usual, with the mainstream media mob. And, you know, like everyone else, she's, a, you know, a liberal Democrat who probably hates. Donald OK, CBS News of all the major networks does, I think, does the best job trying to be to be fair. They, they come closer to the center than NBC or ABC. And CBS as a network are more conservative than any other major network. Their primetime lineup is filled with law enforcement, pro-FBI, pro-law enforcement shows, uh, you know, Navy SEALs shows. So, oh, this is a good uh, critique here from Reason. Oil and coal tax, and then the business tax, and then the small business tax, you'll be paying for all of it. So while they're breaking the promise, now they're promising that if you make a... Uh, below $400,000 a year, you're never going to get an audit. I'm not believing that either. Just like I never believe, keep your doctor, keep your plan. Okay, things started going wrong when they arrested Ricky Vaughn. All right? Remember when Ricky Vaughn got busted? The Biden Justice Department launched an armed raid against Biden's yesterday. main rival in that same presidential election. That's what happened. Pause for a minute. If the New York Times told you that something like that was going on in Chad or the Gambia, what would your reaction be? You probably say to yourself, thank God I don't live in a place like that, a country where politicians used armed men to cling to power. Oh, but you do live in a country like that. You do. The evidence is all around us. We just don't want to see it. A week to the day after Joe Biden was inaugurated, the FBI arrested a 31-year-old man from Vermont called Douglas Mackey. Ricky According Vaughan. to subsequent DOJ press release, Mackey had committed an extremely serious crime. Like Vladimir Putin, he had conspired to subvert the 2016 presidential election. In a tweet, Mackey had suggested, but not explicitly said, but suggested, that it was possible to vote for Hillary Clinton by text message. This act, proclaimed acting U.S. Attorney Seth Ducharme, was a grave felony, a felony punishable by 10 years in prison. Mackey's tweet, Ducharme said, amounted to, quote, misinformation to defraud citizens of their right to vote. Assistant FBI Director William Sweeney confirmed that Douglas Mackey had, in fact, committed, quote, vote theft. So as befitting a criminal of his magnitude, Mackey was handcuffed and hauled before a federal judge in Florida called Bruce Reinhardt. As it turns out, the same magistrate who authorized last week's raid on Mar-a-Lago. Weird. Then Mackey was hauled off to jail. Now, Mackey's arrest seemed like a significant story, but at the time, media coverage was relatively scant and almost uniformly credulous. The reporters who covered it simply clipped quotes from the DOJ press release and moved on to something else. 
Why? Well, the New York Times set the tone early by describing Mackey as, quote, a far-right Twitter troll. Far-right Twitter troll is not a technical term. In fact, it has no agreed-upon meaning of any kind. It is slang, and slang is something that serious newspapers never include in news stories. But in this case, the term far-right Twitter troll had a use. It sent an unmistakable message to the country, and in particular to the rest of the media, and it was this. Douglas Mackey is a dangerous person with unspeakably ugly views. He deserves to be locked up. And so he was. There was no consideration of the merits of the government's case against Douglas Mackey, but there should have been because the case was absurd. If Mackey's tweets were so threatening to our system of government, to our democracy, then why did the Department of Justice wait more than four years until the week Donald Trump left office to charge him? And if Mackey actually stole the votes of American citizens, as the FBI repeatedly alleged that he did, whose votes were stolen? Who exactly were the victims of Douglas Mackey's crimes? The media never asked. The Biden administration never said. As of tonight, the Justice Department has never identified a single person who was prevented from voting or from doing anything else by what Douglas Mackey tweeted. Yeah, good good points there from Tucker. All right, uh, Yoram Hazoni is out with a new book on America, and I like the analysis of Brian McClenahan. He's a history buff. He has a PhD in history. He's a professional historian. He's published many books. And he makes a profound distinction between nationalism and federalism. And he belongs much more with the federalist position, meaning give as much autonomy to states as possible, reserve federal powers for certain limited functions. So this is Brian McClanahan. To simply control that and never let up. And this is where we are in the 21st century. This is why John C. Calhoun was so interested in decentralization, not just that, having an extreme decentralist check on the central authority. What I mean by that is, of course, nullification and the concurrent majority. Calhoun understood majorities are a problem. Numerical majorities are a problem. This is John Randolph of Roanoke. This is the Southern version of all this. And Calhoun, of course, said, I am a conservative, and since I am a conservative, I am a state's rights man. Hazoni would not agree with that. He would say, if he was a conservative, you would have to be a nationalist. That would be incorrect. Calhoun and all the Southerners in the antebellum period, even afterwards, were prescient of the fact that if you wanted to be an American conservative, you had to preserve these regional identities and you had to preserve the regional local traditions and cultures because if you didn't, you were going to be put under the heel of New England. And that's exactly what Hazoni thinks should happen, but that heel of New England has produced all kinds of follies in American history. Namely, centralization, extreme centralization, the New England system of uh, finance capital, which is, of course, you could say, well, that's the greatest thing ever. Well, okay. Uh, of course, it has produced prosperity for, for the United States. There's a lot of people who made a lot of money in the United States. But it's also extremely corrupt. And when you start getting massive corporations out of that, and of course, corporations are the bane of American society now. I mean, there's no doubt about this. Corporations are controlled by leftists who then control society. I mean, this you, you have to understand the Federal Reserve. What is the Federal Reserve doing but destroying the, the American economy, essentially? So, I mean, this is, this is where, you know, the stuff that Hazoni says, you just have to look at it and say, gosh, you know, if you could just get the history right, you would come to an entirely... And uh, yesterday, if you like this podcast, about, you're going to uh, they do this. The New York Times. I mean, this is it, did a long piece on the Claremont Institute. So here's more. Pretty much unchallenged by broader academia, Field told me, as many academics, liberals, but also other conservatives, tend to consider political engagement in general and Claremont ideas and public manners in particular beneath them. That's an important line. You see. Anybody that's out there doing real work, that's beneath us. I don't want to comment on Claremont. That's beneath us. Or you can say the Abbey. I don't want to comment on the Abbey Institute. That's beneath us. These people aren't, uh, these people aren't real scholars. They're not academics, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, this is where Claremont always operated on the fringes for years. Of course, you've got Hillsdale College, which, you know, it's, I mean, it's Straussian, 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 except for a few good people there. There are some good people at Hillsdale. 
But um, you know, Larry Arn is a Straussian of the Straussians. He is a Jaffaite of the Jaffaites. In contrast, Claremont scholars understand the power of a certain kind of approach to politics that's sensational, she said. Field pointed me to a recent exception, a small panel discussion in July, in July in Washington, in which Kessler took part. Kessler defended the upsurge of populism as pro-constitutional. And so, he said, even though it takes an angry form in many cases, it was difficult to condemn it as simply an eruption of democratic irrationalism. Brian Garston, a political scientist at Yale, responded that it was very generous to interpret the current populism as, quote, erupting in favor of an older understanding of constitutionalism. But even that was partly true, he questioned whether populism could be, quote, expected to generate a new appreciation for constitutionalism or whether it wouldn't do just the reverse. It is, Garson said, a dangerous game to try to ride the tiger. Well, isn't this what leftists did for years? I mean, they, I mean, this is what all this uh, bloviating about democracy is, right? I mean, this... Then they talk about, of course, uh, Claremont's budget, which has gone up quite a lot. Uh, and then I want to get down to this part where they, she brings up Jaffa. She says, Harry Jaffa used to ask what it was that American conservatism was conserving. The answer was generally ideological. American conservatism is not about preserving a social structure as in the old European societies, but rather the American idea, a set of principles laid out in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Now, that's an important statement, because if you're conserving an idea, you're not a conservative. Again, conservatism is about traditions. It's, it's actually reactionary, right? Conservatism, in so many ways, is, a, is I mean, look, it's reactionary. It's... Um, it is reacting to the ideas of the other side, to the innovations of the other side that forces you to act. It's reactionary to that. Um, so there is a set of principles behind it. It's not ideas, it's principles based on custom and precedent and tradition that force you to react to the other side. And this culture, these traditionals, these traditional things have culture, right? This is, this is what forms the principles behind the reaction to the ideology. If you say American conservatism is an ideological institution, then it's no different from the left. Ideology is bad. Ideology is at its core reform-minded and leftist. And if that's interesting uh, critique there, so tradition versus ideology. Okay, I did a stream at about three thirty this morning. My <laughs> first stream in in nine days, and I talked about the nihilism of, of illness. Right when I was sick. Right, I kind of just crumpled crumpled up and uh just kind of moaned and and snorted and coughed and sniffled and uh everything that i i believed in so passionately and so strongly prior to getting sick i just felt the intensity of all my beliefs considerably diminish and uh, claire core came into the the chat and says People who believe in God act according to their religious principles. First of all, many people who believe in God are not religiously active. Right. Second, uh, people act for all sorts of reasons. Right? They, they act for reasons to do with the imprinting they received in early childhood. They act, generally speaking, out of incentives. Right? What, what they think will be best for them in the immediate moment. Right. Generally speaking, people do not live according to any lofty principles. Right? They react to circumstance and they react to what's going on inside of them and they react according to their upbringing and what other people they think will approve of. Right? People don't just subscribe to an abstract series of moral principles or religious principles and then conform their behavior to those principles. Atheists and nihilists who have no principles. Have you even met an atheist? Atheists are just as likely to have principles as religious people. They're not always the same principles, but even with atheists as with religious people, men 
do not generally speaking behave based on principles. People behave based on their impulses and on their imprinting and on the incentives that other people and society put before them. What principles do Americans defend? Are they all atheists and nihilists? Looks like it. Well, a far higher percentage of Americans are religious and attend uh, church on, on a, or synagogue on a weekly basis than any other first world nation. So it's just that in Europe and Australia, where people go to church on a weekly basis, their behavior generally tends to be distinguishable from the rest of the population, not so much in America. People who believe in God would be social conservatives. No, plenty of people who believe in God, number one, are not religious. And two, even if they are religious, half the time they're going to be on the left, right? Or the center, the center left, the, the mainstream Protestant religions, and uh, mainstream Roman Catholicism tends to be center, center left in many ways. Social conservatives depend on God to protect their identity, and they would not be afraid of defending their principles against LGBTQ. Well, there's just no evidence for that, right? By and large, American Christians and European Christians have accommodated themselves to the LGBTQ agenda rather than opposing it. Uh, reasonable, responsible comments. Nick Fuentes is sincere. Yeah, he sincerely believes that a pose of Christian nationalism is more effective for him. He doesn't actually practice his religion from all accounts. Most people are sheeple. Uh, most people are human, right? For most people, there aren't significant incentives for making up your mind on all these different issues, Right? Most people are busy right, doing a job, getting an education, looking after their family. Claire says, Christianity is kaput. Nobody cares. Well, it still has some influence in the world, but not as much as it did 50, 100, 200 years ago. Western men suffer from moral sickness, which means their moral principles have rotted away. Okay, compared to whom? Western women? Compared to Eastern men? Right, on this planet, Earth, right, how are Western men you know, that much weaker, uh, less moral than other types of men? Claire Cole says, You may be interested to know that I found a Californian prepared to support secular Quranism with American characteristics. Why would she think I'd be interested to know that she found a Californian prepared to support secular Quranism? Uh, Claire says, Christianity is idolatry and blasphemy cursed by God, if he exists. Okay, this is just uh, emotions, all right? Depending where you come from, every other religion, you can consider it idolatry and blasphemy. Luke should become a secular Quranist and be confident, serene, healthy, and happy like me. Yes, that's what everyone notices about Claire Cor. Her confidence, her serenity, her health and her happiness just radiates from her i'm never depressed says claire i'm rather surprised at the robustness of my mental health nothing says mental health like hair core depression can be caused by a sneaking feeling that what you have based your important life choices on is false it can be i mean depression can come from belief in lizard people. Depression can come from many places. Generally speaking, it is a healthy adaptation to having made a series of choices in life that don't work. 
all right? Depression is a medical term for normal human sadness that is frequently adaptive. I was sad when I was sick, right? And that opportunity for the past eight days to kind of step back from my normal schedule, step back from my normal beliefs, and take a time out from the habitual ways I think about things and do things, that's adaptive. And so too, depression and sadness is frequently adaptive when it's normal human sadness, right? You don't need the medical term depression. You don't frequently, you don't need drugs. You need to understand, get some understanding how you have arrived at a sad place and what would be some possibilities for going forward in a more productive manner. Claire says, I'm not phased by rejection because I already know that most Westerners are Islamophobes. Uh, Claire Kors seems to take relig- uh, rejection pretty personally. I mean, she has an encyclopedic memory for everyone who has rejected her. Claire says, I understand that people who disengage with me do it because they have lost all the arguments and they already know they cannot ever win against me. I mean, how, how delusional is, is that? I mean, Claire Kors admits she doesn't read books. Right? It's not like there's this you know, great depth of, of wisdom here. I mean, who exactly has she ever vanquished? Sports is trivia, says Claire. I take the Jewish view against sports that it's for plebs and athletes are not known for their intellectual prowess. Well, there's a time and a place for, for everything, right? Life should not be 24-7 about achieving intellectual or moral ideas. Nihilists are people who have no principles. Nihilism is a product of atheism. Well, you put the most devout person in enough suffering and they will start feeling quite nihilistic. All right. Uh, Job in the Bible starts feeling quite nihilistic once he suffers enough. You change the situation, you change the man. So it's not primarily that, that situations reveal people's true character. People's true character comes out it, in different situations. It reflects different parts of people. So Claire Kaur starts suffering enough, and her nihilist side is going to start coming out. Right? None of us are immune from nihilism. Right? You have enough setbacks, and uh, you're very likely to start feeling nihilistic. Right. I'm enjoying this Netflix documentary, Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. This was just another part of that. Oh, Notre Dame star linebacker loses family members, dedicates his season to them. That's a Notre Dame football story. Notre Dame football is built on these foundational myths. Rudy, win one for the Gipper. It's the nexus of football and and literally religion the mysterious ways uh you know faith is rewarded the thing that really helped me this year is my relationship with my heavenly father and strengthening my spiritual side of my life and i think i attribute everything that i've accomplished this year to that through the sports news media there were millions and millions of people who knew that there was a notre dame football player whose grandmother and girlfriend had died the same night and that he dedicated his season to them. One problem, his girlfriend did not exist. Right, so the news media just repeated without any ex- examination this, this completely bogus story for months upon months upon months. 
Right, terrific article here in the Wall Street Journal. Merrick Garland, the Washington Post, and the nuclear story. If the threat is genuine, why didn't the Justice Department treat it that way? All right. You know that Donald Trump has nuclear secrets hiding at his Mar-a-Lago Merrick home? Garland, the Washington Post, and the nuclear story. If the threat is genuine, why didn't the Justice Department treat it that way? By James Freeman. August 16, 2022, 1.40 p.m. Eastern Time. If papers and former President Donald Trump's home represented such a grave threat to national security, why did the Justice Department take so long to act on it? Among the implausible details of this disturbing story has been that after a justice official and several FBI agents visited Mar-a-Lago in early June, justice waited several days before merely requesting that a stronger lock be placed on the door of a storage room and then waited roughly two months before seeking a warrant. Now a new report makes the theory of a significant security threat even harder to credit. The journal Sadie German and Aruna Viswanata report from Washington. Attorney General Merrick Garland deliberated for weeks over whether to approve the application for a warrant to search former President Donald Trump's Florida home, people familiar with the matter said, a sign of his cautious approach that will be tested over the coming months. The decision had been the subject of weeks of meetings between senior Justice Department. Right, so if he's meeting for, for months, all right, on whether to raid Trump's home, it, it's hard to credit that uh, the documents that uh, Trump has at his home are of such you know, vital and pressing national importance. What's my perspective on the Salman Rushdie attack? I, I agree with Steve Saylor that we should have an immigration safety board. Like, why was the attacker in our country in the first place? We should only admit immigrants to the extent that they benefit our country and are unlikely to engage in heinous behavior like this. So my first reaction to the attack on Salman Rushdie is, you know, where did we go wrong with our immigration policy? Like, why is this person in the, this country in the first place? Like, why would we import people who have disdain for freedom of speech and for, for many other things that we hold sacred? Okay, we got some clips here from the chat. So let's have a look. Anyway, guys, so uh, what I want to talk to you about here today is, you know, speaking of dick riding, this pathetic cult of Trump and the fact that everybody on the right side of the political spectrum, every, every Republican, has their panties in a bunch over this uh, FBI raid of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, looking for, I, I guess, classified documents that belonged in the National Archives. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're all saying, like, oh, can you believe that? Well, there's, there's two arguments here, right? We'll call them the high IQ argument and the low IQ argument, right? So the low IQ argument coming from the right is, is just, well, hunters out there smoking crack and 10% and to the big guy. What about that? It's, it's, you know. So it's just, it's, it's just basically, I, I guess they feel that the FBI should have timed their raids to coincide with it because the FBI is investigating Biden, too. Like, were you guys aware of that? You know that, right? And it's harder to investigate a sitting president than one who's out of office. So, yeah, I, I guess the FBI could have timed their investigations to coincide with one another for appearances sake. But I don't think that's how law enforcement has ever worked. Um, anyway, let, let me get back on topic here. So that's the low IQ argument. It's, it's just basically, how, oh, it's selective enforcement. Why are they going after Trump and not going after Biden? They are going after Biden. He's being investigated. Hunter's being investigated. This laptop thing is not uh, just being ignored. Uh, now, you can say that maybe it's, they're slow walking the investigation. You know, I, I haven't seen any proof of that. Uh, I don't work for the FBI. I don't know how long it takes to investigate, uh, you know, selling uh, influence in, in our government to uh, foreign uh, business entities. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what this requires. Anyway, the, the high IQ argument is that well, Trump is being accused of, of taking classified documents home, but the president can declassify a document. And, and boy, doesn't that smack of Nixon saying it's not illegal when the president does it? 
It's not illegal when the president does it. It's not a crime if I do it. I do a horrible Nixon. Sorry, that that sounded like McGruff or something. That that sounded like Seth Rogen. The fuck? That was a terrible Nixon. I apologize. I'm really sorry. Anyway, though, um, so so the, the argument is, well, while it's technically illegal for a president to take home classified documents, they all do it. They all do it. Uh, Obama did it. Clinton did it. Tr- okay, Nick Fuentes. Oh, listen, I'm not gonna lie. You know, sometimes you see some black girls out there. You know, black girls can be kind of bad. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I don't. You know. Paul Godfrey is also a big big fan of uh, black girls. I know, I know, it's some popular opinion around here, but uh, I'm against race mixing. I would never do that. I would never do that. But um, not gonna lie, there's something about. I'm not gonna lie, there's something about it. Black girls can be kind of bad. I saw one at the airport the other day. I was like, damn, she's kind of bad though. There's something about it. There's something about it because it's naughty. Because it's naughty. Because it's transgressive. There's something about it. There's something about the transgression, which is which is attractive. There's something about the novelty and the exotic nature of it and the, and the contradiction of the transgression. And that's what makes it hot. And if you don't understand this, you're an idiot. If you don't understand this, you're stupid. Stupid people, Kai Clips is forbidden fruit. <laughs> yeah, forbidden fruit. Stupid people are like, oh, I want a hot blonde girl. I want to have regular sex with a hot blonde girl. And I want a vanilla ice cream cone. And if I got, I want to be rich and I want to drive a Lambo. And if you're a genius, you'll say it's about the contradiction. It's, it's about the tension. And it's about, it's about the transgression. It's about, it's about other things. And that's something that, you know, frankly, you people would never understand because you're not eccentric and you're not a genius. Nick is editating, man. He still brings it. Right, Charlie Kirk, Eric Retaxas call for retaliatory raids, raids on liberal raids. groups. State attorneys generals that are Republican have to authorize raids against Soros groups, BLM, Planned Parenthood, the Alphabet Mafia, groomers, chemical castration of children. Now, here's why. A hundred facilities should be raided by, raid by the next week. Find them. You trying to tell me there's not a hundred criminal organizations that are aiding and abetting people across the southern border? La Raza, we know them. They publicized it. I'm not saying you have to arrest them. Just raid them. Find out what you find. Why? That will all of a sudden make them and their internal chatters. Guys, you were so stupid. You raided Trump. Now they're coming after us. Good. Now you know there's a price to this. True leadership means doing things that some people will say, oh, you you can't do that. A leader makes that calculation and says, so do I believe that having a fetish for black girls is high IQ? Well, I think it's more true than not true that if you're willing to mate outside your group and you have the capacity to mate inside your group, as Nick Fuentes does, uh, in his situation, yeah, I think this, you know, openness to new experience, to to new people, uh, to have more of a sense of ease and thrill, and a sense of transgression, uh, going after a member of the out group, yeah, I think I think Fuentes maybe maybe onto something there. I think I need to do this now, and history will judge me. God will judge me. Yes. And that's that's what I would say about Mike Pence on January 6th. In other words, I could see people say, well, you can't do this. Other people say, you can't do this. Okay. The point is, that's when you show whether you are a leader, whether you, 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 you take the temperature of history and do what is needed and let God judge you and let history judge you. We need those kinds of leaders now because we are in a war. We need a wartime consigliere. That's where we are. And if you don't understand that, you're done. You're done. We can't yes. use you anymore. Both of us are, are Christians, and we take our, our orders from Jesus. So we're not yes. talking about doing anything like saying, well, you know, these are difficult times and we need to do what we need to do uh taking your orders from jesus is absolutely meaningless because you can interpret jesus in any direction i mean as a source of spiritual inspiration it it certainly has meaning for people but as far as practically predicting people's behavior it's meaningless because you can interpret jesus in an infinite number of directions just as you could if you said oh i take my directions from torah right you can take your directions from torah in a left-wing direction or a right-wing direction We're not only really saying that. We're saying that uh, on top of saying that, what is God's will? God gave us this nation. He gave us liberty, and he gave us the obligation 
to keep the republic. We have an obligation. So anybody who's a Christian who feels that, well, that's not playing nice, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm here to tell you, we're, we're not talking about civility or we're talking about fighting for what is right. And the question is only in this detail of how do we do that? But there are many people who say, we don't fight. No, 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 we don't fight. We wait till the election. If you don't understand that there is a time to fight, there is a time to take dramatic action. And it is is not only not violation of uh, our Christian faith. On the contrary, it is a manifestation of our faith. Yes. It's a it has of, to be. It's a matter of justice. It's that simple. It's a matter of justice, which is God's idea, not our idea. And if we're not going to uphold justice, which is one of the core values of the American constitutional order, then the whole thing falls apart. Our entire system is inspired by the Bible. It is based on God's will and providence breathing into our life. And if we're just going to kind of sit idly by and do nothing, this is what drives me nuts, though, Eric, is that only a pampered, comfortable, self-righteous, arrogant, weak, theologically um, questionable Christian generation could believe such a thing. Our, our grandfathers and our ancestors were Christian, and they knew if they had to fight evil, they did. And so why, why are you willing then to inherit the gift but not willing to preserve it? If you are not angry about this, if you don't want to do something about this, you're part of the problem, folks. Right. Folks, you are part of the problem. You are in bed with evil if you are not outraged. Okay, so Right Wing Watch is publicizing this clip to show how you know heinous these people are. But Eric Metaxas and Charlie Kirk wouldn't be speaking this way if every institution in our country, with, with few exceptions, wasn't controlled by the left, right? So when... When that wasn't the case, you didn't have Christian nationalism. But in, an, in a rabidly secular country where the left controls almost all our institutions, just to stay even right, with your Christianity is more and more requiring that people come out and be Christian nationalists. Right? This Christian nationalism didn't come out of nowhere. It's a reaction to an assault on the country by the left at these things happening in the United States of America. If you just want business as usual to continue, you lack courage and God will judge you and history will judge you for this. And there were many good Germans who did exactly. Okay, let's. Uh... All right, so we're going to read this article from 2006. When our little cucks and beta boys who are getting pushed around by the political left. Sam Francis believes that the CIA is getting bullied around by Martin Luther King rather than the other way around, rather than understanding that the CIA created Martin Luther King. He says, by playing on the, I'm going to read it again, by playing on the guilt and fear, the establishment leaders, they're afraid, they're quaking. George Soros, he's quaking in his boots. He's like, oh gosh, I'm so guilty and afraid. <sighs> playing on the guilt and fear, the Walton family, with all their money, they're like, oh, please don't hurt us. We're so guilty and afraid. <sighs> playing on the guilt and fear, which reflect these leaders' shared acceptance of the left egalitarian value. Do they, is that true, though? We just talked about the slave labor in China. Do you really believe that the leaders of America truly have leftist egalitarian values, or do you think they promote that cynically? Do you believe that they're liars or do you think they're dupes? Do you think they're liars or do you think they're stupid? Do you think they're liars or do you think they're chumps? I think they're liars. You know, what do you think is more realistic? They're lying or they're guilty and fearful. We also have to understand that when we say something like the establishment leaders, that again is a very obscure statement. Who are we talking about? Are we talking about the city councilwoman in, in, in city hall who's uh, crying, you know, and, and AOC is crying and such? Is that the guilt and fear we're talking about is like, you know, women crying at a local city council or something like that, which is what I consider you know, AOC. I, I don't think she does. I think she's like a city councilor. She, is she from, she's from some district in New York. She doesn't represent like the state of Wyoming or something. She represents some like hipsters in New York or something. You know, that's like a city council, uh, at least geographically. Now, maybe there's millions of people who live there. I don't know. But in terms of the size and scale, she's not administering, you know, she's not administering the vast swaths of territory. She's not like a governor. 
she administers like a city block or something. I mean, of course, it's not with Congress. She doesn't administer it, right? But that's the scale of her representation is like a few city blocks or something, you know? So is she... Uh, props to Kenneth Brown for consistently saying unpopular things with, with his audience and consistently challenging his audience. Is she an establishment leader? Are, who are we talking about? Are we talking about George Soros? Are we talking about the funders? Are we talking about the CIA? Are we talking about the deep state? Do you think they're guilty and afraid? Or are you talking about some, you know, bleeding heart, you know, crying liberal somewhere, you know, kneeling and crying or whatever, having this religious experience about guilt and fear? There's certainly middle management seems to experience. I think middle management, I think a lot of it's performative, but I think there are certainly people who feel guilt and fear, this quote unquote white guilt. But I think those people are not the ones who have created this mythology. I think they're the ones who have internalized it. I think there are a lot of people who use it cynically and performatively. So what do you think? Do you think that the establishment leaders are wracked with guilt and fear or that they create guilt and fear and they instill it in the middle class they're trying to displace? Because this is a class where they're trying to displace middle class people. This is Okay, what happened Here's what to... some of the key players of the Unite the Right rally are up to since the event in 2017. Richard Spencer helped to organize Unite the Right rally, has reportedly pulled back from the movement after a failed 2018 alt-right rally, was found liable in 2021 and forced to pay millions. James Fields Jr. drove car into crowd, murdering Heather Heyer and injuring others, pleaded guilty to 29 hate crimes and received a life sentence in federal court, and then a second life sentence plus 419 years after being found guilty of Heyer's murder, ordered to pay $12 million to victims of his attack. Matthew Heimbach, former leader of the Traditionalist Worker Party, assisted in getting violent skinhead groups to Unite the Right sentenced to 38 days in jail in May 2018 after violating his parole by assaulting a protester at a Trump rally, claimed he is no longer involved with the white power movement in early 2020. Nicholas Fuentes, former student who became an outspoken alt-right influencer since Unite the Right, leader of the America First Political Action Committee, built a huge audience on YouTube and DLive, was eventually deplatformed from YouTube, DLive, and Twitter. Christopher Cantwell, popular face of the Unite the Right rally, charged with three felony assault charges from his role in the rally and has faced a series of legal troubles since, ultimately plea bargained down to misdemeanor convictions in July 2018. Currently in prison for interstate threat. Okay, Andy Nowicki and uh, Johnny Monoxide here. A lot of them are into that kind of stuff. It's, it's not. It's not good. But like, we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the good guys, right? Drugs yeah. are bad people. Yeah, right? to be the role models. All right, we're the role models. What are you doing going into the bathroom and doing coke? What are you doing? Yeah, so this is Johnny Monoxide, who is a stalwart member of the Right Stuff Podcasting Network, until he was kicked out of the network, and he's noting that uh, so many of the major players on the right stuff uh, doing drugs like cocaine and like getting blackout drunk at a, at a meetup like you know your own meetup like an njp meetup striker it was a no drinking thing and striker brought a bottle in his jacket and ended up like having to be carried out oh. like that's the kind of people these are you know what i mean isn't really Is that, that's just that's terror that's that's and and these people say they're going to take power but what well so many of the uh, the alt-rights um Wounds seem to be self-inflicted. Oh, yeah. Like there's everything that you you've talked about with the TRS crew, and and there's also, I'm not not to dwell on it or anything, but what went down with uh in in Indiana uh with the, gosh, with with Parrot and uh oh yeah well <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, everything everything they do there's that yeah there's the box breaking thing there's the yid wife crisis there's when you said Indiana I forgot there's another one there was that was uh at the NPI thing there was a time that Conti yeah that's too yeah, so, Spencer of trying to have a threesome with his girlfriend. Yeah, like, what kind of people didn't people, happen you know? that way? I know, and so it's like um, I mean, I would like to say I was standing there. Kevin McDonald was there. Kevin McDonald was sitting on the couch, like, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, Doctor Mouse, like, welcome, welcome to welcome to the NPI after hours, Doctor McDonald. Well, guys, like, like he's like seventy or something, right? He's like, oh, he's yeah. Kevin McDonald came back like seventy something. He was having a good time. There was a there was a, he was talking to a female, and she, uh, yes, she was very interested in in the story about the Jews. So he was having a good time. But, uh, I see. But yeah, but like it was crazy. All of a sudden, you're Greg Conti screaming at Richard Spencer about trying to trying to get with this girl. It's absolutely insane. It's like you people are no better. You're no better than libtards. Oh wait, you are. You're just racist libtards. 
it's like, and what do you think about the picture? You mentioned the picture of um, uh, Enoch's mom uh, with Hillary Clinton. What do you think of the picture of of uh, Spencer and and his then wife Nina uh, with Barbara Bush? Like, have you seen that one? Is it Laura Bush or Barbara Bush? Oh, sorry, Laura Bush. Laura Bush. Yeah, I know. I know Richard's parents are friends with the Bushes. So yeah, it's like fake Texas rancher money because they're not also not from Texas. Like, yes, the Bushes, the Bushes are from Connecticut, and Spencer's are probably from Connecticut too. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So yeah. them being friends with the Bush family is kind of funny because like I always jokingly said that that was when Richard got his FBI wings was when he went to Hungary and got detained in Hungary. Uh, remember that? Sure do. Yeah, I remember. Then, I remember it well. Yeah, and then he came back. And then Richard was like everywhere in everything and doing all this stuff um, and just messing everything up. I, I yeah. think for a time, maybe, Richard was, maybe Richard's job was to be the bumbling sort of dandy playboy that, you know, tried to be the leader but failed all the time. Just never quite made it, but was always there. Well, like, like, his, his, like I was so – I remember being just so uh, incensed, even though I, I, I shouldn't have been because it didn't really – it didn't – it shouldn't really have mattered that much to me. But I remember when he did his hail, hail Trump, hail victory speech at the at – the yeah. 16 NPI conference. I was like, what in the hell? What are you doing? He didn't, he wasn't the first one to throw Roman. Mike was actually the first one. Yeah, to throw Roman. I, believe so. I, I believe so. Mike was, well, no, from people that were there, Mike, Mike himself. Knocked. Yeah. You can't see him because he's off to the side. Mike was yeah. the first to throw Roman and everybody did. Yes. <laughs> like, everyone, what are you doing? How was that? Like, and, that, and that, that was at a moment where, you know, they were actually in a favorable position because Trump had won and you could just yeah. say, you could just sort of coast and, but instead he has to pull a stunt like that and, yeah. and look like a clown. Yeah, we're going to take this one with us. We're going to make everybody. Oh my God. It's bad. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was involved in several sessions of doing that that dumb stuff. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not innocent of. Oh, Johnny, you went along with it. Yeah, I did. It was a lot of fun. It was a whole lot of fun. We were on top of the world. We were going to win. We yeah. were take. We were going to take power. A small group of us were somehow somehow going to be implanted into somehow into management somewhere. I mean, look, there was a few steps that we needed to work out. Right. Okay. Liars on the right, Johnny. This is going to be the worst liars on the right video. I just want the title out there because I'm tired of people asking. So I'm going to make a video about it so people don't ask anymore. But ultimately, we're going to have to end this series. We can't continue to answer questions about esoteric e-celebs. Giorgiani's a freak. Look at the guy. He looks like a freak. What do I look like? I look like I'm homeless. I look like I live in a house with holes in it. That's what I look like, okay? But Giorgiani looks evil, okay? And he says evil things. He's a terrorist. He's working for the government. He hates the government. He reminds me a lot of Moldbug. Moldbug, just to rehash Moldbug, is a man who stole my term Deep Right, which I invented in 2017, but he doesn't have any original ideas. He's an obscurantist like Campbot, like Logo Daedalus, who blocked me on Twitter, by the way. Um, one of the very few people. There are a few other people, but they don't deserve a mention. So, you know, he's like that. He's an obscurantist. Giorgiani came up with this term of uh, Prometheanism, which is all about rebelling. Like, the funny thing is that the whole ethos that Giorgiani describes is the ethos of Zeus and Apollo and of many other deities in, in the main line, right? But Giorgiani has to go and say that actually Prometheus, who is a giant, who is against Zeus, um, is the true spirit of Western civilization. The myth is a myth of rebellion. It's a myth. It, it is a kind of Luciferian myth. It's a myth of the rebellion of creation against creator, against son, against father. Um, and it's a common theme. Right. But to boil it down to Prometheanism and to say that's the new religion and we're just going to throw out Zeus, it really lacks an understanding of the psychological extremes that I call deep left and deep right. So, right, Cronus in the Greek mythology represents the deep right in a certain way. He represents complete tyranny, autocracy, a man who would rather kill his children rather than see because that is the reverse of the Oedipal complex. It is the desire of a father to kill his children so that they don't usurp him. And we see this in real life. We see men who are so threatened by their sons 
or women who were threatened by their daughters, that they will sabotage their children because they're afraid that their children will supersede them. So we see this in real life. So these myths have a deep resonance with our psychology. That's what Cronus represents. On the other hand, you have Zeus, who is a revolutionary, who overthrows him with cleverness and the help of his mother. Very similar in Judaism to Jacob, who overthrows Esau, his older brother, with the help of his mother by tricking his father. They are analogous myths. These are the same myth, you know, between Judaism and Greek mythology. Even though people want to make them out as so different, and yes, there are differences, of course, but the central myth is actually exactly the same. The Olympian and the Olympian blood gives rise to the kings of Hellas, and the blood of Jacob gives rise to the king. Okay, Andrew Anglin here talking about where the alt-right went wrong. So... For, for Tony Oberder and gets him like $27,000 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's what these people do, man. They fucking grift. And when they so have it's top down, it's not decentralized, is what you're saying. No, I mean, like when Sven, like when they told, when, when, when Sven got really butthurt at me for the final time and he told everybody that I was to be cut off, he told the pool party leaders, cut Johnny off. And they went out and they said, cut Johnny off. And like, people who know me IRL will not speak to me anymore because Jesse said to cut me off. It's and getting, what would you use to describe, what, what's the best term to describe this sort of behavior? Cult-like. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's no, there's no other there's there's no So they got their own vocabulary. They have their own vocabulary. <laughs> they have their own hierarchy. They have their own people in charge. They have their own information disseminators. They're they pay subscriptions. They're paid subscriptions. <laughs> they're, doing, they're doing vetting, personal vetting for IRL meetups, where now guys that are, because of the thing with the paranormies getting kicked off and becoming anti-TRS and all this shit, there are still people who still like the paranormies that are TRS listeners or were or whatever. And they're still like torn between, I like listening to the show and I still like listening to the paranormies. I'm going to listen to both. Well, TRS has done the thing where they're like you can't listen to both you have to only they've openly said that oh they've openly they've openly called us fake white nationalists like jesse has gone on record by saying that like that like the paranormies are gunt guarding for zionist policies gunt guarding is a term that they use for um for ralph on the kill stream because you know ralph is the gunt he's got the big fat thing which is funny that that those guys at tds or trs would use that term because mike has a gun Mike's a big fat fuck too so like whatever oh yeah yeah (laughs) he loves ranch that's for sure i mean come on i mean like he's the only guy i've ever heard of to go back for seconds at mcdonald's damn and and in fucking Gainesville, when they went to Florida, remember when they went to Florida with Spencer for the, the Gainesville thing? And uh, uh, yeah, he went down there with him, and one of the guys who was working, quote, security, was like, Johnny, you could not believe this, dude. He went for fucking seconds at McDonald's. Who the fuck goes oh, back damn. for seconds at McDonald's? <laughs> damn. Wow. That's insane. But anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Like, yeah. You know, like, like they've, they've done the whole bit where they're like, oh, we're going to get healthy. Everybody's going to chill. Dude, if you lived, if you, if you didn't need to work for a living and you had people paying your income by, because you, know, you did a podcast, would you not spend at least two hours a day working out and doing like personal betterment stuff? Well, not only. Come on, man. You said that Andrew Anglin caught in at this timestamp, and it's not true, man. Come on, Bones Mode. Your, your timestamps are way off. I'm a really big supporter of the Christian nationalist movement. I support Christians. Uh, I'm going to fight for Christians. I'm going to fight for white people. I'm going to fight for, you know, nationalist movements. I'm going to fight against the, uh, the anti-white racism that is being, uh, you know, perpetuated. I'm going to fight for all Americans, really. All freedom-loving Americans, um, regardless of their background. But there is clearly a war on white people. There's clearly a war on Christianity in this country. Even though I am Jewish, I'm still going to fight for Christian nationalists. And I, I find that most of my friends and most of my allies and most of the people who I associate these days uh, with are Christian nationalists. Okay, Laura Luma there. And uh, I'm back and I'm done. Take care. Bye-bye.